Well, welcome. Welcome. So good to have you here. You doing good? All right, all right. Well, it's really good to have you here, whether you're here in person, watching online. We're so glad to have you with us. And uh, not only are you here, but fall is here, right? In a big way. Like fall showed up with an exclamation point in the last couple days and said, I'm back. And so uh, hopefully you have your power on. Hopefully your house didn't blow away and, and uh, uh, you're all good. But it's so, so, so good to have you here. Um, I, I actually love the fall season. Everyone's a little bit different. I love fall. Uh, fall reminds me that pumpkin spice lattes are at Starbucks. And uh, I don't know about you, but I like that. Uh, those are good. Um, fall, what fall? The Puyallup Fair is going on in fall. Any of you do the Puyallup? AKA eat more food than is humanly necessary, right? Let's have five corn dogs and go on five rides. What could go wrong, right? So uh, we love the Puyallup Fair. And of course, uh, I love the fall season as the fall season is football season, and our beloved Seahawks are undefeated. Come on. I know, I know, we're only 1-0, but come on, let me dream. I'm excited. On the flip side, uh, pray for our UW Huskies. Um, they won yesterday, but man, uh, it doesn't look good. Uh, so uh, it's hard to be a Husky fan right now, but it could be worse. I could be a Cougar fan. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All you Wazoo peoples, we love you. Uh, we're a church for all football fans. Uh, I told Pastor Stu, even Pastor Stu's a subpar New York Giants. Come on. Uh, he's representing. He won't stop. So uh, listen, but we're so glad to have you here. Uh, we're going to have a great weekend together. I'm really excited for this fall season uh, because fall season is a great time in the church. It is. It's just a good time to be in church. And this is our first fall season at Church for All. And so we're gearing up for what we believe is going to be an incredible season. Uh, we're seeing people sign up to serve through our serve initiative. We're seeing people get in groups, get in community. And I am excited to share in a couple weeks what I believe to be some really good news. I'm going to share with you exciting news. Uh, so don't miss church, all right? Some of you are like, you're going to leave us on that cliffhanger? I am. But listen, we got good news, so just make sure you're in church. Uh, good things are happening at CFA, and we are excited about what is ahead. Amen? Amen. Well, as, I, as Pastor Bill mentioned, uh, we're launching a new series today uh, called More to the Story, More to the Story. And for the next couple months, we're going to highlight the parables of Jesus and uh, Jesus spoke in parables ultimately to connect with people. Uh, one third of all Jesus' teachings are in the context of parables. And in Jesus' final year of ministry, the overwhelming majority of his teachings were in the context of parables. And with Jesus' parables, we realize there is a story and then there is a little bit more. There is more to the story. And so we're excited about this series. Uh, to kind of kick this thing off, I want to share arguably the most familiar parable Jesus shares, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. How many of you have heard of this parable? Maybe you've read it. Uh, but I want to share this parable to you perhaps from a different point of view. Maybe share some things you've heard. Maybe share some things you haven't. Uh, but I'm excited uh, to unpackage this and do this. And so we are going to look at the Gospel of Luke. Someone say Luke. And we're talking 
Gospel Luke, not Star Wars Luke. Uh, I literally, uh, years ago, I had someone ask me in the lobby. They're like, that's not the same Luke. And I'm like, no, man, that's like not at all. But that's cool. I, I'm open to any question. But listen, we're going to look in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read uh, some verses. And I will forewarn you, we're going to read a lot of Scripture today. But hey, we're in church, right? It's kind of why we're here. That's like going to a great buffet and saying there's too much good food. There's no such thing. Come on. There's no such thing as too much good food. There's no such thing as too much good word. And so we're going to peek at the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. And let's start in verse 1. All right. We read, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. I love that. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. That's a word we don't use much. They muttered. This man welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. Jesus shares a parable about a lost sheep, a parable about a lost coin. And we get to this in verse 11. We read, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, make a mental note of that. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, Make a mental note of that. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, he interrupts him. He said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and a sandal on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The plot changes. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, he's mad, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat <laughs> so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, get this, this is kind of the crux of this entire parable. He says, my son, you are always with me. Say with me. You are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Would you stand up and pray with me? And then I'll share with you a couple thoughts about this parable. Jesus, we pray in these next short moments that you would just speak to us 
about your word, that your word is alive and active. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Guide us with your word, we pray. And I pray for every single one of us that we would have a revelation of your love, that your love for us is unchanging, it's unwavering, and it's perfect, that there's nothing we can do that can separate us from your love. And we do pray that by the time today ends, our Seahawks are 2-0. and In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can go ahead and sit down. <laughs> well, the parable of the prodigal son is uh, one of around 50 uh, parables Jesus shares, one of 25 distinct parables Jesus shares in the Gospels. And a parable, simply put, is a story. A parable is a story. A parable is a fake story that reveals a real truth. And Jesus would use simple parables to communicate divine ideas. Uh, Jesus would use parables and stories. Jesus would use similes and metaphors in an effort to connect and communicate with common people. People just like you and me. Now, you have to understand Jesus' simple communication style was contrary to the religious leaders and the Pharisees of his day, as they would often speak in a way to try and wow and impress people. Uh, They would try and speak in a way to try and wow people uh, with their understanding of the Torah. What was the Torah? It was the first five books of the Old Testament, which they used. Uh, They would try to impress people with their knowledge of the 613 laws that needed to be followed in the Torah. And then Jesus shows up on the scene with this simple yet effective communication style where he uses simple yet profound parables to communicate divine ideas. And what I love, love, love about Jesus' parables is they would hit the heart of the person he was speaking to, yet they would more or less fly over the head of the person they weren't. Uh, In in fact, uh, Jesus would talk about things we deal with today. He would talk about fear, anxiety, And he'd say things like, uh, well, look at the birds. (laughs) And they'd be flying overhead. People like, huh? And he'd be like, well, they just kind of exist. They don't really reap. They don't sow. They just kind of hang about. And yet my heavenly father takes care of them. He says, how much more will my heavenly father take care of you? And the people are like, that's good. And the Pharisees, they were like, birds. (laughs) What you talking about, Jesus Because Jesus' parables would hit the heart of the people he was speaking to, but his parables and examples would kind of fly over the head of the person he was not. Now, the parable of the prodigal son is not only one of the most studied, most popular, and most well-known of all Jesus' parables, but it's also one of the most shocking parables Jesus shares. As in this parable, Jesus ultimately defines and redefines how we look at God, how we look at ourselves, how we look at sin, and how we look at redemption. In fact, scholars and theologians will tell you that this one parable ultimately summarizes the entire message of the Bible. It ultimately summarizes the entire gospel message, which simply put is this. God made it, creation. We broke it, our sin. Jesus fixed it, the cross, And now we share it. There's hope for all humanity. Amen? And this parable ultimately reveals the love that kind of is the glue to all of the gospel. It reveals to us that God loves us no matter what. 
This parable reminds us that there's no pit too deep, there's no place too dark, there's no person too far gone that the love of God cannot reach them. That God loves all of us as if there were only one of us. He loves us with a perfect love. So come on, smile. This is good news. Amen. This is the gospel. And so I want to jump into this parable, but before I do, uh, let me share with you what I believe to be a common misconception about the parable of the prodigal son, and that is this, that this is a parable about one lost son. But I propose to you that this is a parable about two lost sons, that this is a parable about two lost sons, one loving father, and the sin of all humanity. In fact, I propose to you that both sons were very much lost, but in very different ways. One was lost due to his prodigal living. The other was lost due to his prideful thinking. But they both were estranged from the father. Both needed grace. And my favorite quote of all time is this that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Come on, nobody gets to sit taller, nobody has to stoop lower, but we all are sinners in need of a Savior, right? That God's grace is for the best of us, and God's grace is for the rest of us. But all of us are sinners needing the grace of God. And the only prerequisite, the only prerequisite required to receive the grace of God, we just have to know we need it. We just have to know we need it, and God freely gives us grace. I'll get into that more in a moment. So we pick up in this parable, and Jesus is speaking, and I love it that we read the tax collectors and sinners are listening, because whenever Jesus was talking, everybody wanted to hear. The implication here is this, whenever Jesus was speaking in church, everybody wanted to be in church. Everybody was listening. And, and maybe you're here for the first time, uh, maybe somebody kind of tricked you into coming to church, right, and they told you something. Uh, maybe you're single and they said, oh, there's somebody we want you to meet. And you're like, oh, I think it's maybe a man, a woman. And come to find out, they're like, oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> you know? And you're like, that's kind of shady. You know what I mean? That was, that was kind of cheap. But you're here, and regardless of what you might think about church, regardless of your context and your history with Christians, I can promise you this. If you were to have met Jesus, you would have liked Jesus. And Jesus would have liked you. And what I love, love, love about Jesus is every time Jesus is talking, everybody wanted to hear. Uh, you had the tax collectors, the sinners, the infamous, notorious sinners of their day are there. Uh, you have the disciples, the followers of Jesus who are there. And the disciples were saved, but they weren't like real saved, <laughs> okay? They were kind of half holy and half hood, they were like, pray with me, but don't play with me. You know what I mean? They were kind of rough around the edges. They, they kind of, they didn't have this whole thing figured out yet. And then we read a third group of people kind of enter into the mix. They enter into the conversation. 
And these are the religious leaders and Pharisees. And they're there to listen to Jesus for an entirely different reason. They're there because this Jesus they hear welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. Now, in our day and age, if we share a meal with a person, it signifies we have some level of connection, some level of community. Nevertheless, in the first century Jewish culture, if you shared a meal with a person, it signified you accepted them. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders are, are confused, they're perplexed as to how Jesus loves people the way they are. He just loves them as they are. And what I love, love, love about Jesus is he realizes he has two different groups of people that are listening to him. He has the Pharisees and the religious leaders who practically live in the temple, and he has the tax collectors and sinners who aren't even allowed into the temple, and he's about to level the playing field. He's about to let them all know that we all need the grace of God, and he's about to let them all know that God loves all people. And so Jesus begins his talk. He begins his sermon, and he starts with a couple parables. One is a parable of lost sheep. And you got to understand, Jesus is speaking predominantly to a farming and agricultural community. And he says, which of you, if you have 100 sheep and you lose one, wouldn't leave the 99 to go to the one? He's like, Pharisees? They're like, yeah, we agree. Tax collectors? They're like, we agree. He's like, okay, let's move on. He says, which of you, if you lose a coin? He talks about a parable of a lost coin. And a coin in that day isn't like a penny to us today. It actually had a lot of value. And he says, which of you, if you lose a coin, wouldn't turn the house upside down to find the coin? He's like, Pharisees? Yeah, we would. We're cheap. Tax collectors? They're like, we're thieves. You know, we turn other people's houses upside down to find coins that aren't even ours. You know we would. And so he's like, okay, we agree. But I propose to you that these first two parables are just really appetizers for the main dish. These are really just icebreakers for Jesus to get to his main point, and that is the parable of the lost sons. And so let me kind of modernize this parable. Let me embellish it a little bit so we can really understand what's happening. But Jesus ultimately says there is a father, and he has two sons. That's how he begins the parable. And he says the youngest son goes to his dad, and he says, Dad, you know when you die, I get a lot of money. I get a boatload of money. Here's the problem, Dad. You just won't die. That is literally what's happening here. He's like, you, you just won't. The older you get, the healthier you become, and I got plans. So literally, this is what he's saying to him as you study this out. He's saying, let's pretend like you're dead and why don't you give to me what is mine now? now? Now, this would be disrespectful in any culture, right? But in the first century Jewish culture, where the father and patriarch is revered, this was unheard of. I promise you, even the tax collectors are like, that's bold, you know? Even hardened criminals listening in are like, um, that's kind of wrong, right? Like, this is, this is weird. And watch this. Jesus makes matters even worse. He, he actually adds insult to injury as he uses the most offensive word you could have used here for property and inheritance. There were much better Greek words that could have been used for money or inheritance, 
but he uses the word bios. Now, the word bios is where we ultimately get the word biology, and it means land and life, life. So ultimately, in that day and age, your land signified part of your identity. It was part of who you were. So this youngest son is ultimately saying, Dad, I don't care if I tear apart your land. I don't even care if I tear apart your life. Just give to me what is mine. And the people are like, this kid's going to die. You know what I mean? They're listening to this saying, there's no way this kid makes it out alive. You know? This kid is a perfect example of why some animals eat their young. You know what I mean? They're like, this, there's something wrong with this, this young man. And so they're listening, and Jesus shocks and surprises a crowd again when the father says, okay, okay. And so they go through this tedious, this difficult process of dividing up the land. This would have been a very public thing. This would have been a very humiliating thing as everyone would have known what was happening. And we, Jesus says, the father gives to this youngest son what is his, and he goes off and he lives wildly. Now, we're not sure exactly what that means, but in our imagination, you know, he buys some house, he gets a Porsche, he gets some girlfriends, he gets some friends, he's really living it up. That is until one day a famine hits, an economic collapse occurs, and one by one, all his stuff starts being taken back. And before long, he has lost everything. He has hit rock bottom. He finds himself hopeless. He finds himself helpless. He finds himself even homeless. And he has hit rock bottom. And we read a very intriguing verse in verse 17. We read, when he came to his senses. We read, when he came to his senses. That word senses there is derived from the Greek word hey out to, hey out to, and it means not only uh, senses, it also means your mind. So we could say he came to his senses, or you can transliterate this, he changed his mind. And what is so fascinating about this is this is the part of the story where things start to turn around for the youngest son. This is a part of the story that the trajectory of his future begins to shift just a little bit. Why? Because if we can start by changing the way we think, ultimately we can change the trajectory to where our life heads. We could say it like this. If we can change our mind, we can change our life. And maybe you walked in today and you're struggling. Struggling in an area in your life, struggling with your family, struggling with your friends, struggling with relationships, struggling with your finances, struggling with your career, struggling with your business, I don't know. But I do know this, that if we can start to change the way we think, we can change the trajectory to where our life ends up. If we can change our mind, we can change our lives. Uh, many years ago, uh, my oldest daughter, she's 20 years old, and uh, uh, she was probably three, maybe four years old, <laughs> and I, I can still vividly recall walking into our dining room table, and she's sitting there, and she's like, Dad, you want to see me count to 10? <laughs> and she said it like it's big time. You know what I mean? Like it's this big thing. Like she was saying, Dad, you want to see me walk on water? But she didn't say that. She said, Dad, you want to see me count to 10? <laughs> And I'm like, I do. And she just starts counting. She's like, one, 
two, three. She gets to 10, and I'm like, yes. I said, that's awesome. And then I looked at her, and I said, but can you count from 10 backwards? And she kind of looked up and kind of shrugged her shoulders. No lie, true story. She turns around backwards, and she's like, one, two, three, four. <laughs> she, she gets up to 10, and I'm like, what? And I start laughing out loud. And then I'm like, I got to fix this, because if she does this in public, this is going to be real embarrassing, you know? She's got my last name and stuff. So, so, so I, at first I'm like, oh, I got to fix this. And then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I like the way she thinks. She's thinking differently. And sometimes to change the trajectory of our life, we just have to think differently. We have to change the way we think. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, you have the mind of Christ. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. Listen, sometimes to change our trajectory, we have to change the way we think. Our thoughts, our mind determine our beliefs. Our beliefs then determine our actions. Our actions then determine our habits, and our habits then determine our life. But we can ultimately change our life by going all the way back and changing our thoughts and changing our mindset and changing how we think. And we have the mind of Christ. Amen? So we read, he came to his senses. He changed his mind, and he started remembering back. You know, my dad's servants, they at least ate okay. They ate well. You know, he said, surely I'm not worthy to be called a son, but maybe, just maybe, he'll hire me back as an entry-level employee. He'll hire me back as a servant. And so this youngest son, he writes out his speech. He rehearses it. He memorizes it. He heads back home. And verse 20 is my favorite verse of this parable, by far, bar none. He said, we read, that when he is still a long way off. When he is still a long way off, we read the father sees him and starts to run to him. Now, I can assure you of this. As soon as Jesus said run, the people are like, because in the first century Jewish culture, the father, the patriarch, did not run. They walked. And so right away, they're like, something's up. And I'm sure the Pharisees are elbowing each other like, kid's going to get it now. Kid's going to get what he deserves. Watch. And Jesus shocks and surprises a crowd again when he says the father has compassion on the son. He hugs him. He kisses him. And they have this moment together. And I love, love, love that it says when he is still a long way off. Because I know the context of this is distance. I realize it's geographical. I realize he's a long distance from the sun. But you can't help but to appreciate the beautiful metaphor here also. Because the youngest son has been living life away far off. He's been distant from the father even emotionally. And yet what I love is that the father has compassion on him. He runs to him. And I think sometimes when, when things aren't right in our life, and maybe we know we don't have things together, 
We think we have to get things right before we come back to God and come back to church. We think we have to put the pieces together and, and we need to put our, our, our best foot forward. We think we need to come to, with God uh, with better stats and we need to come to God with a better story and we need to come to God with some solutions. But Jesus says to us, come as you are. Just come as you are. Romans 5 tells us while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. This means on our worst day and on our worst moment, God still loves us. This means that even when we slip up, even when we fall down, even when everyone else in the world is disappointed with us, we serve a Father, we serve a God who doesn't run from us, but He runs to us, who has compassion on us and loves us unconditionally. Come on, smile. This is good news. This is good, good news. And in this entire parable, Jesus is ultimately defining and redefining, depicting and redepicting what the love of God looks like. And church, what we think God thinks about when he thinks about us will set into motion what we think about when we think about God. I'll say that again, kind of deep, but pretty simple too. What we think God thinks about when he thinks about us will determine what we think about when we think about God. A.W. Tozer, the great preacher, the great theologian, he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Really? The most important thing? Because there are a lot of important things out there, right? A lot of important things about us. But the most important thing, yeah, why? Because ultimately what we worship we will eventually become like. And watch this. If we think God thinks about us with shame and disappointment, then we will think of ourselves and we will think of others through the lens of shame and disappointment. But when we see God as he is, when we see God through the lens of Jesus, we realize he's a God of compassion we realize he's a God of love, and we in turn then will see ourselves through the lens of compassion and love, and indirectly we will then see others through the lens of compassion and love. It will change the way we see things. It will change us. And so I love this part of the story. The youngest son, he starts rehearsing his speech because surely he has to give his explanation, right? It's always when someone does something wrong and they come back, we're kind of like, well, did you hear their story? You know, are they sorry? I mean, are they sorry, sorry, or just kind of kind of sorry? I mean, was it a heartfelt sorry? And he thinks he has to share his story. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. The father doesn't even let him finish. He interrupts. He says, servants, bring out the robe. Bring the ring. Bring the sandals. Why? My son is back. He's back. 
This is kind of the Bible version from the movie, the end scene from Jerry Maguire. I don't know if you've ever seen it. it. Kind of aged me. I don't know. It was an old movie. But anyway, Jerry walks into the living room, and he's totally out of place. There's like a woman's book club, and he's nervous, and he's trying to win over Renee Zellweger, whatever her name is. And, and he's like trying to like share his thoughts, and he's stumbling over his words, and he's fumbling over what he's trying to say. And finally, she's like, shut up, Right? It's like, shut up. You had me at hello. You remember that? You had me at hello. You know, and she's crying. And all the women in the movie theater are crying. And I'm not crying, but I happen to have an eyelash in my eye. So there's a tear kind of coming down my cheek. <laughs> but this is like the Bible version of that movie. The father doesn't even let him finish. He says, you had me when I saw you, like my son is back. He said, bring the ring, bring the robe, bring the sandals. Why is that significant? Because those aren't tokens of a servant. Those are tokens of a son. So ultimately, he's saying this. He's saying, even though you said I'm dead to you, you never stop being a son to me. I love you, and that will never change. And this depicts the love God has for us. And the father says to the servants, he says, you remember the fatted calf? The one we've been saving for a special occasion? Well, it's a good day for my son. It's a bad day for the cow, right? (laughs) Because we're having steak tonight. And they have this party. And evidently, this party is for the whole village. How do we know that? Because a fatted calf is killed. A fatted calf would feed 75 to 100 people. A family would just have maybe a a lamb. But evidently, maybe the entire village knows the story of this son, and they need to see the redemption too. And that is how this story kind of concludes in our mind in the church. We're like, oh, the lost son is found. Yay! And it's a great story, and it shows God's redemption, and it shows his love. But I propose to you there's more to the story. We stop reading there, but you got to keep reading the book, keep watching the movie. There's more to it. Because whenever we hear a parable from Jesus, and in this series as we read these parables of Jesus, you have to ask yourself two questions. Number one, you have to ask yourself, who is God in this parable? And number two, you have to ask yourself, who am I in this parable? Who are we in this parable? Well, the people are pretty sure they know who God is. I mean, he has to be the father. Who else can love like that but God? The tax collectors and sinners, they're kind of like, well, I think we might be the youngest son, right? We're not kind of doing things the way we should. But they're like, wait, you mean there's hope for us? You mean the father loves us? And then the Pharisees, (laughs) they're like, who are we in this parable? And Jesus is like, I'm about to get to you. I'm about to share with you who you are. And we read the oldest son comes in from working. The oldest son comes in and he hears the party. You know, you got new school Drake, old school Will Smith, all kinds of party going on. People are dancing, having fun. He's like, what's going on? And one of the servants says, didn't you hear? Your brother's back. He's like, no, he's back? Yeah, and you remember the fatted calf? The one we've been saving for a special occasion? (laughs) Well, we're having steak tonight, (laughs) like, We're eating it, and it's good. And we read the oldest brother is angry. He's mad. 
And we get to the final scene of this parable. He refuses to go into the party. He refuses to walk in. We're like, why is that significant? Because the party here is symbolic of life. It's symbolic of salvation. You could even make the case it's symbolic of heaven. He's like, I'm not going. And then we see the loving father go out and try to persuade the son. This is the word picture again of God's grace that continues to reach out and continues to extend to us no matter how far gone we are, no matter how bitter we might be. And we read the father goes out to persuade the son. And the son looks at his dad. He's like, look, we just read it. He doesn't say uh, esteemed dad. He doesn't say honored father. He says, look, you. And he doesn't say my brother. He says this son of yours. (laughs) Not my brother. He says this son of yours has disrespected our entire family. He said, Dad, you know what he's done, and I know we don't share this around mom, but there's partying, there's prostitutes, it's not good. And he comes home, and you kill the fatted calf for him? He says, Dad, I didn't even get a goat. (laughs) And I don't even know what that means, but evidently he was a big fan of goat burgers. I'm not sure. He says, I didn't even get a goat. And the father says something very profound. And the older son, he's angry. And, and when you look at this older son's speech, you have, to, you have to recognize this. Watch this. The oldest son's speech is almost opposite the youngest son's speech. The youngest son's speech is, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. But the oldest son's speech is, I should. I should, right? He's like, I deserve this. I worked for this. He's like, you owe me. And the father says something so profound. I love this. He says, my son, you are always with me, with me. And I've always loved you. But he says, we have to celebrate because your brother who is lost has been found. Your brother who is dead is now alive. And he says, you have always been with me. And the Pharisees They had to be like, with? This thing's about with? I thought this thing was about doing. I thought this was about deserving. I thought this was about earning. You're telling me this is about with? You you mean this isn't about religion? It's about a relationship? You mean this isn't about performance? It's about proximity? It's about being with the Father? And the Pharisees now know who they are in the parable. And listen, this is how the parable ends. And we're like, what? You can't end this story there. That is a horrible ending. That is exactly how Jesus ends this parable. And our 21st century American mindset is like, this is horrible. This could never be a movie, right? I mean, how can you end there? We want the oldest brother to be like, ah, dad. Ah, shucks, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and the dad puts the kid in the headlock and gives him a noogie, you know, and they all walk into the tent laughing and smiling and partying together because we like a happily ever after. Have you, have you ever been in a movie and your backside, your bladder tell you this movie should be almost over? But you think to yourself, there's no way this movie can end here because if it did, this is the worst movie that's ever been made. 
If this movie ends right here, this would be a cinematic nightmare. And just as you're thinking that, you see the credits start to roll up. And you're like, no, no, no. We can't end the movie here. What happened, you know? Did they run out of budget? <laughs> did, did the actors go on strike? Was it COVID? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because everything's COVID. We're, it rains outside. We're like, I think that's a new variant, you know? <laughs> Everything. We're like, what happened? How, how did the movie end there? How did, how did the story end there? And we don't know exactly why Jesus ends the parable here. We don't know why he ends it in the tension. But it's possible he ends it there because this is more real life. This is more reality. Because while the grace of God is for everybody, not everybody will choose the grace of God. While God's grace is free for everyone, God's grace isn't forced on anyone. And the only prerequisite required to receiving God's grace is we just have to know we need it. We just have to know we need it. And he freely gives to you and I amazing grace. Would you stand up with me and let's pray? Jesus, we just thank you for your grace that's sufficient for us all. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. But still you give yourself away. We thank you for your perfect love, your unchanging love, your unconditional love for us. And if where you're at, you say, I need the grace of God. I need to come to him. I need to come back to him. Maybe you're just going through something and you need strength. God's supernatural strength to give you courage to move through. You're not in this alone. He's with you. And the only thing required for the grace of God is we have to know we need it. Maybe you're distant. Maybe you know you need to come back home. Maybe you need strength today. But if you just need God's grace, would you just lift your hand up? See, hands lifted up. Yes, 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 yes. We need God's grace. Yes. And let me just pray. Jesus, I thank you for every hand that's lifted. I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, we thank you for your grace. That is not our works. It's not being good enough that gives us life and hope. It's that you paid the price for us because we could never be good enough. That it's not about our perfect work. It's about the perfect finished work of the cross that you finished once and for all as you died for us. And I pray, God, for everyone today needing your grace, your grace, God, to cover our sins, your grace to pick us back up when we fall, your grace to keep us moving forward. I pray for those who just need the touch of God in their life, need strength to endure in their mind, their emotions, in their home, in their family, in their careers and their business. God, we look to you the author and finisher of our faith. And we lean in, into you and we rely on you. Let's take a couple moments. Let's worship together as I believe God wants to move in our minds and hearts.